Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I'm your host, Lindsay Pinchuk. I'm an award-winning entrepreneur who's been building brands for as long as I can remember, since college, for nearly 25 years. And in 2010, with just a $500 investment, I founded, built, and scaled a seven-figure business, a community for parents and parents-to-be that eventually reached 3 million people per month. And then I sold it. In 2021, I made the decision to exit in order to show up and serve a new community, female founders. This podcast is my twice-weekly letter to you to inspire you to find success through your own entrepreneurial endeavors. And today, we are talking to a veteran of the internet, a woman who has been around the blog for a very long time, and someone who, who I have watched from afar for years. Having the chance to have her on the show is truly an honor, and I can't wait for you to meet Joy Wilson, otherwise known as Joy the Baker. This podcast is the show I wanted and needed 13 years ago when I became a female founder. If there's anything that you want to hear about or anything that you want me to share or any way that I can help you through your own entrepreneurial journey, I invite you to reach out. Simply email me at lindsay at or you can shoot me a DM on Instagram at lindsaypinchuk. And if you're inspired by today's episode, I invite you to share it. Text it to a friend or share it in your stories. If you tag me at lindsaypinchuk or at dearfounder, I will absolutely come and say hi. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would love it if you left a five-star rating or review, as that's how other entrepreneurs discover our show and the incredible stories that we share here each and every week. So like I said, I've watched Joy Wilson from afar for quite some time. She started her blog only a couple of years before I started my first company. We both grew up and grew our businesses through many of the same triumphs and hurdles that the internet and social media threw our way. And the thing that I love most about today's conversation is the fact that while Joy and I agree on a lot when it comes to building a brand, we agree wholeheartedly on one thing, that your content and your community are the foundation you build your brand upon. You've heard me say it so many times, and you're going to hear Joy solidify it today. Joy Wilson is well known for her daily dabbles in butter and sugar as her blogging alter ego, Joy the Baker. A California girl who now splits her time between New Orleans and Houston, Joy is a hundred percent is a one hundred percent taste buds taught baker and home cook. Since two thousand and eight, Joy has shared her indulgent and comforting yet approachable recipes through her popular blog, JoyTheBaker.com, inspiring home cooks of all ages to try new things. She's also a three-time cookbook author and editor in chief of the biannual Joy the Baker magazine. 
Through it all, Joy proves that baking is not about all the latest gadgets and high-tech gizmos. It's about stepping into the kitchen with a monster sweet tooth and baking up something beautiful right out of the oven. Joy's won numerous awards for her online work, including Sever's Best Baking Blog, and she's been named one of the top food food one of the top 50 food blogs by the London Times. She's also been seen in New York Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, Sunset Magazine, and Country Living, just to name a few. And you've probably also seen her on the Today Show. She has her own baking and breakfast mix product line with Williams-Sonoma and a capsule collection of culinary-themed necklaces and earrings with Delicacies Jewelry. You can keep up with Joy on Instagram at Joy the Baker and her cake-based passion project at Drake on Cake. On any given day, she can be found with a bag of cookies and a pound of butter in her purse. All of the links to find her are in our show notes. But for now, please come on in and meet the delightful Joy the Baker. So today we have a very special guest on Dear Found Her. And I have—I just told her I've been watching her from afar for a very long time because she got into blogging a little bit before I got into Bump Club. And she's always kind of been on my radar and someone that... I've seen around the internet and now I'm so excited that I have gotten to put a name to a face in person and have had a conversation with her prior to hopping on here. But you probably know her from Instagram or TikTok, but Joy Wilson, who is otherwise known as Joy the Baker, has been online since 2008, which is incredible when you think of how far the internet has come since then. That was before social media was even a thing. She's also a three-time cookbook author and the editor-in-chief of Joy the Baker magazine and a baking instructor. And she is absolutely delightful, as you will soon see. So I'm so excited to have Joy Wilson here today with us on Dear Found Her. Joy, welcome. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I'm so happy to be here. The pleasure is all mine, like seriously. And I, I am just so excited to share your story because I feel like you offer so much rich history to building a brand that is online, but offline and with your extensions, you just, you have so much going on and it is so incredible what you've built. Thank you. That, I feel like that's extremely generous. It is not extremely generous. It is the truth. So I would love for you to take us back, take us back to 2008 and tell us how you started your business. Oh my gosh. I can't believe 2008 was 15 years ago. Joy the Baker is the thing that I've done with the most consistency in my entire life. Like this is the longest I've ever had a job. <laughs> like this is longest I've ever had a relationship. Like this is this is it. So it's it's pretty wild. But 2008 was when I started joythebaker.com and I don't know if you remember that back then. I I feel like an elder an elder on the internet and that's okay. But people weren't making a living out of posting on a blog. We were like fresh out of posting on our live journals. So it wasn't a career and it wasn't something that I thought I could turn into a career. But what I thought I could turn into a career at the time was having a wholesale baking business. I was, I had several jobs at that time. I was a baker and I worked in a coffee shop. I was a student. Like I was just doing all the things. And I thought that my career was going to be as a baker, as a baker baking for people. Uh, and so I set up my website and started to take orders from people. I would make custom cakes. I did a couple wedding cakes. I joke around that I, I ruined a couple weddings because I am not a wedding cake maker. <laughs> like 
Turns out that's not me. Um, and I would sell my baked goods to coffee shops around Los Angeles as well. All of this was just like out of my home kitchen. So that's really how Joy the Baker started. I was Joy and I was trying to be a baker. Um, and I quickly realized that like the margins, the margins on those things that I was doing, the cakes and the wholesale baking was not adding up for me. It just wasn't making sense. So I started working in another bakery. I had a couple jobs and um, I started just posting the recipes that I was making in the bakery on this blog. Um, I looked up to my friend, my now friend, Deb from Smitten Kitchen. She started her blog in 2006. And I was like, I don't know, there's this lady in New York city who has like one light in her kitchen and she's, she's make, putting recipes on the internet. And I let, I want to try them. I have recipes. Like I'll just try putting them on the internet. And I wasn't alone in that. People started doing it. And after many years, it started to become a thing, a thing that we did and a thing that is known. So that's how Joy the Baker started. When did you start to monetize Joy the Baker? Like, when was it like, okay, this is a business beside the baking aspect of it. You know what I mean? I mean, you're baking, you're maybe, you know, you're working in a bakery, you're selling cakes wholesale, whatever that part of your business is. But when did the online portion, when were you like, I'm onto something and I can actually make money here? Yeah. I I remember we used to him and haw a lot about whether or not we were going to monetize our content online. Like there was a time in 2010, 2011, where some people were doing it and it was a little controversial and I was not doing it. I wasn't doing it. I was like, I don't want ads on my website, but things change and things changed. I don't know, quickly and slowly at the same time. In 2012, I was, I realized I was putting so much effort into my into my work online that I needed to be monetized for. I needed to, I needed to be paid for it somehow. And so I started monetizing the website in 2012, I believe. So four years after I started it, I still had a job. I still had two jobs working in food service and I was making just a tiny amount of money. I remember like getting a check for $81 from my site and being like, cool. That's like, a free $81. Of course, it's not free. I like paid for so many groceries to create the content, but, but that's, yeah, I started monetizing in 2012. Back in the day, 28 to 2012, how did you get the word out about your blog when there was really no social media? I mean, social media was just a very different landscape. Like Facebook was a little bit around, you know, we were coming off of that, like .edu, like you had to be an ed in education or a student mm -hmm. to be on Facebook. There was Twitter, obviously, but it's not like it was today. It's not yeah. like it is today. That's for sure. In some ways, in some ways, getting the word out is the same today as it was back then. And it is about building a community. It really is. It has to genuinely be about caring about other people and creating a community around the thing that you care about. And so uh, I would find different communities of baking people in between 20, 2008 and 2012. And we back then, because we didn't have Instagram or Facebook to converse on, it was all in the comment section. The comment section of my old posts, which are still up there, have hundreds to thousands of comments because that's where we created community. That's where we would connect and ask questions and talk about our experiences. It was all in the comment section. And, you know, right now that comment section is just dispersed 
more throughout the internet. It's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, it's on TikTok, you know, it's Twitter, it's everywhere. But it all is essentially a con- <laughs> the comment section of my website. Uh, so that's how I got the word out was just like trying to build a community, joining other people's communities, commenting on other people's work genuinely. And that's how it grew. Hi guys, it's me, Lindsay. I'm not sure if you're aware, but over the last nine months, I haven't just helped big enterprise brands on their marketing efforts through my consulting firm. I've also helped over a dozen women, small business owners in launching their companies, building their brands, and to tweak what wasn't working. I've been building and growing brands for nearly 25 years, but I've forever used one method to build my own brands and that of my clients and students. My signature sweep method utilizes social media, your website, emails, events, partnerships, and publicity to generate and execute cost-effective community-centric marketing strategies. If you're looking for that added layer of guidance, please reach out. There's a link in my show notes. Book a call with me and let's see how I can help you. I can't wait to meet you and learn about your business. Now back to the show. And now, and I want to, I want to kind of piggyback off of what you just said, because now it's so important to do those things, but on social media. And you said something just now you said, and I would comment on other people's work. I actually just this week posted something about how important it is to be social on social media. And, you know, you are living proof of this because you were social on your own media before you had to be social on social media, but you can't just like post and run and Mm -hmm. expect that people are going to come to you. And, you know, I I shared this whole thing this week about how, like, if someone's going to feature you and share you and talk about you, like you should engage with them and share it too and say, thank you. And like, right. And there's all these, it's, it's not rocket science, but when you do those things, that's when you see your community grow. And so I'm assuming your community has just, I know it has, but it's exploded because of Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. And I mean, it, it put it on a whole new playing field. Yeah. Yeah. It really did. It it really did. It also spread those people out a lot more, but yeah, you, you can't just be output of your own work. I've found. And sometimes I get not, you know, like sometimes I've got, I've gotten, I've had years where I've gotten very tunnel vision about like must output, like must put out work. And when those years have felt either like where I've felt burnout in those years or where I felt like I've plateaued or stalled, it was because I wasn't putting the energy into connecting with my community. It was, I was putting like energy out, but I wasn't like connecting with the people that I was putting it out to. And yeah, I've noticed that I find I like will reach a plateau if that's the energy I'm giving. You know, and it's interesting, you and I talked before we hopped on just about how long the two of us have been kind of in this world of digital media and in digital promotion. And I think that, you know, when, when you think about what you just said and the conversation in the back and forth that you and I just had, you said something also, you said, it's really not that much different, you know, now than it was before. And I think that that is so important to hammer home, especially to new entrepreneurs and younger entrepreneurs, that it really is that back to basics engagement and community, not going viral. Right. Gosh, everyone, everyone wants to go viral, but what, what do you have for people after you've gone viral, you know, like, what do you have to offer? And maybe there is something that you have to offer, but you have to like foster foster that. 
foster that genuine care for other people so that you have something to fall back on or you have something to offer when you do go viral or, you know, like whatever that is. I'm just so- And I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of people don't realize how important that is. Yeah. Like what's the, what's where, what's the foundation, you know, what's the foundation and having a foundation is key to any business. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I want to ask you one more thing about social media. I have a million questions for you, but how do you feel about the fact that your comment sections are now owned by other companies? Hmm. You know, I mean, you're, you just said my comments are on my website. They, you know, from back in the day, they're still there. They're still on the post. And in that, at that time, you owned those con those comments and that mm-hmm. content. And now when you are putting the content on other platforms, you don't own that anymore. Mm-hmm. So one, how do you feel about it? And two, how do you harness those communities so that they do become something that you own? Gosh, I, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever felt a felt like I own my community. I, I've never had that feeling. I feel like I own my work, but the idea that that kind of community is now spread out or, or like the comments are owned by other companies. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I've been in the game so long and I've seen so much change in the game that I, I always expect there to be some like huge shifts and what what is what stays true is my work the quality of my work the creativity of my work and my ability to connect with people and so like that's that's the only that's my constant and where things go where people find me is always going to change and ebb and flow and like that's the stuff you have to just go with when things do shift and when things do shift in a huge way, which we've all seen it happen, especially when, you know, one of the platforms makes a big change, how do you adjust? It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It takes time. It takes time. I feel like to recalibrate your mind (laughs) to the shift. Um, It also takes time to like, I've noticed recently that I've had to like kind of recalibrate my work like recalibrate the videos I create, not recalibrate the recipes I make or the quality, but people want to see something different now with the rise of TikTok and what works on Instagram doesn't work on TikTok. So you always have to, you have to like stay, stay true to yourself and your work, but find the flexibility in it. And I don't know, as I get older and a little bit more entrenched in the work that I do and have done, it's harder to make those shifts, but it's exciting too. Like, like there's so much different possibility in there and like different ways to be creative, different ways to explore. I was really resistant to TikTok and creating there, very resistant to it. And that I was thinking about it this morning. It was to my detriment. It was just me being stuck in my own mud about it. Like I really got in my own way about it. And now I'm on there and I'm just having fun. I don't care. The thing you know, is like, you don't care. I think that a lot of people listening, including myself, because I am so hesitant too with TikTok, 
feel the way that you felt, like feel that like resistance, especially people who are, you and I are the same age, who are our age and older are like, oh my God, one more platform. Like, what do I, you know, uh, and are very resistant. How do you create differently? What are some tips that you could offer to our community for creating differently on TikTok in a way that would resonate with, with the people who are there? Yeah. I, I feel like you have to find a way to resonate with the people that are there, but also be true to yourself. So I am not on TikTok trying to go viral. That's just like never been my bag. I, I probably wouldn't know how to do it if I tried. Like it just feels disingenuous to me. But I what I can offer is cooking videos. Love to do it, love to make them. On TikTok, I'm I've been just playing around. You just have to go there and just throw something at the wall and see if it sticks and see if it feels good to you, if it feels authentic to you. So I've been making more casual cooking videos there. Some are great. Some don't perform well, but they all feel good to me. They all feel like something that I'm proud, happy to put out in the world. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I'm approaching it. And I'm seeing steady growth. The thing that is motivating to me is that I'm seeing steady growth in it, steady growth in the numbers, but also steady growth in the community of people that I'm connecting with there. And it is the growth platform right now. Like Instagram used to be the growth platform. It is no longer that unless you are like adhering to their very specific rules, which are exhausting. So TikTok is the place of growth and it, it, it is, it's scary. It's kind of like a juggernaut, but it's also exciting. It's exciting to see some steady movement. Are you putting your videos on YouTube shorts as well? Um, I have put some video on YouTube shorts, you know, everything is everything. Like everything requires a different finesse and I create all my own videos myself. I don't have a giant team of people and I don't have the finesse for all of it. So while I do put some of my videos on YouTube shorts, I haven't seen a lot of growth there because I don't think I have the special YouTube sparkle fingers and that's okay. I can, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. You mentioned your team and we're going to get into that in a minute, but before we do, I want to paint a picture for our community as to what you do outside of social media, what you do offline, because you have extended your brand in a way that I think so many content creators and so many people who live in the digital space would die to create their brand in the way that you have offline. So tell us a little bit about these brand extensions and the partnerships that you have that have brought Joy the Baker to life off the internet. Yeah, um, it's it has been important to me to to take Joy the Baker off the internet and make it a tangible thing. That's why I'm proud of the three cookbooks I've written. Um, in 2020, I started writing a biannual ma magazine that was in groceries, sold in grocery stores. Um, I was editor-in-chief of that. And in 2016, I bought a house in New Orleans, uh, like a live-in workspace that I transformed into something I called the Bakehouse, which is where I would hold monthly classes around this big kitchen island and my double shotgun in New Orleans. That was a way to take my online world into like a real world experience. That was very popular. I also have a line of baking mixes with William Sonoma and a jewelry collaboration with Delicacies Jewelry. Hi guys, it's me, Lindsay. 
I wanted to tell you about HoneyBook, the new tool I've been using to automate my business. This past December, I felt that things were a little bit disjointed. My coaching and consulting contracts and client acquisition process wasn't automated. And honestly, I just kind of felt like a mess. And then someone introduced me to HoneyBook. They're the leading client flow platform for independent businesses. And it's what I use to make my client acquisition and payment processes as easy as possible, not just for me, but for you. HoneyBook allows me to manage my workflow and my client experience, streamlining all the steps that it takes to sell and deliver my personalized services. By combining tools like billing and contracts and client communication, HoneyBook helps independents get organized and provide top-tier service at every step, and I have loved it so far. The best client experiences truly are built on HoneyBook, and I am totally sold. You can check out the link in my show notes and give it a try for a dollar a month through February 27th. We're not going to go into each and every partnership, but I'd like to maybe explore one of them and just maybe give some insight as to how that came about and what the steps were to take to make that happen. Because, you know, it's one thing to say like, oh, I have this line or, oh, I wrote this cookbook, but there's so much that goes into all of that. And you and I both know that. So like, where would someone start that wants to take their brand offline? Well, I mean, I, it's hard to know. It's hard. I don't think there's one answer for everybody, but I am always, I just am always working from my gut, which maybe is not a helpful answer to people, but no, I, I think it's a my, good answer. Okay. I work. I do. I think gut. it's a good answer because, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but no. I, I, you know, I think it's a good answer. And that I think about how I did things at bump club and oftentimes you know, I went with my gut too. And is this a good partnership? And does this work for the community? And is this something that I feel like will resonate with them versus after I was sold, everything started with a PL sheet and everything started with the budget and the sparkle of what we were bringing the community was dulled because yeah. of that. Yeah. And so I do think that going off your gut and then figuring it out is okay. And especially if you're your brand. Yeah, it ha- right. I feel like it has to be okay. There, they, it also requires a lot of time and patience because not every gut. I mean, most big gut decisions or big creative flashes then take several months, if not years, to make to make a reality. Did William Sonoma approach you, or did or did you go and approach them? Yeah, William and William Sonoma approached me in 2015. In 2015, okay. I went out to their California, San Francisco offices. We had a meeting. We had like a collaborative meeting, dreamscape, the whole deal. We were moving forward. Something happened. There was a riff. Something happened with one of the other, I don't know, something happened. And that deal fell away very quickly. And I was so bummed. I was like, man, that really felt right. That felt like a right thing. But like, Like, how did that go away so fast? And now it's gone and like, weird, weird. That's disappointing, (laughs) but we move on, you know, like we keep talking. No, I didn't have any bad feelings. I don't know. Just something, something weird happened. Um, And in 2020, I was at right before the pandemic in March, March, 2020, um, I was at the Charleston food and wine festival and I was doing a demo on the William Sonoma main stage with Al Roker, who I refer to as my father now. Uh, and we did a cooking demo together on the William Sonoma stage. I was like, look at all this amazing William Sonoma stuff. 
And I had a feeling that there were Williams Sonoma people upon the crowd. And there were. My friend Kristen was there, my now friend Kristen and Jean, big, big folks at Williams Sonoma came up to me afterwards and they were like, remember that collaboration we were supposed to do? Like, let's talk about that again. I was like, wow. Like I knew it felt right then. But I want to just, but I also want to point out that right place, right time, right? Like it wasn't maybe right in 2015. And also how smart you were to think about that and be strategic about your approach when you were on that stage. Yeah. That was intentional, you know, but it was not forceful. Right. It's like being ready, being just staying ready, just staying ready, not pushing anything, but just staying ready for when you see the opportunity to just nudge it a little bit farther down the road. So I was reconnected with the Williams Sonoma people. And over that year of 2020, we developed this line of cake mixes and brought them to market in May of 2021, which is an absolute dream. But if I think about it, it took, it was like six years in the making and yeah. And, and I love working with them. I feel like they're an elevated brand that their brand elevates mine and we have a great creative collaboration and it, it, what it did happen at the right time. I don't think I was ready for that sort of thing in 2015. I probably wouldn't really have known what to do with it. And so it was right to go away, even though it was so disappointing at the time, but, and I never could have imagined that it would come around the way that it did, but some things, it just takes time to reveal some things. I appreciate you sharing the downfall of that as well, because I think, well, but I think a lot of people are not transparent and like, you know, they get to a point where they're like, oh, I have this partnership and they don't necessarily reveal that it took a while or things didn't go as planned or things fell apart. And I think those are very important, one, indicators of success. And two, it's very important to be transparent, to let people know that success doesn't happen overnight. No, it certainly doesn't. And, but I think that it all happens in the right time. I've found that, I've found that the success happens as it should, maybe not as quickly as you want it to, but it, it happens at the right time. It has all, it has happened at the right time for me. And then with your cookbooks, was that something that you wanted to do or similarly, did someone approach you to do it? I, I wanted to write a cookbook. Both things are true. I wanted to write a cookbook. It was early days. My first cookbook came out in 2012. And so I started working on it in like late 2010 or 2011. Um, And I was approached by a, by a book agent. I didn't even know what a book agent was at the time. I was like, this, is this a, I had no idea. That's how naive I was. And so I didn't respond to her email for three months. And then I was like, to be honest, I was going through a little cash crunch, meaning I was broke. And I was like, I've got to hustle up some money. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do I was living with roommates in downtown Los Angeles. I was like, this is not it. This is not cute where am I going to find some money that I can work for? And so I went and dug up that email and was like, Hey, is this real? (laughs) Cause I'd like to write a cookbook. And then I spent three months writing a proposal, put it together. We sold it together. And that's how I got my first, my first book deal. So in some ways I was approached, but in, in other ways I was like, let me go get this. But at the same time, you knew that you needed money. And so you were like, how can I use my expertise and what I do best to get it? 
Yeah. And I think that's often a question that entrepreneurs, one, struggle with, and two, you know, they ask themselves, but they don't really know where to find the answer. And oftentimes it's right in front of them. It's just taking the step back to be like, oh, this is what I do. And this is what I can offer the world. How do I get from point A to point B? And you did that. Yeah. Yeah. And that probably was very pivotal for you in that moment of being in a cash crunch and not having money. But then all of a sudden you had a book and then that book gives you content to talk about content to sell. And it also builds your trust and builds your credibility. There's so many things that come from that book, which is just so amazing that you seize that opportunity. That was a big step being getting that book deal and writing that first book was like, you know, some steps in your business and building your brand are smaller steps, small steps that you make every day. But this selling this first cookbook was one of my, one of my big steps. When you look at your business holistically now, what would you say is the area where you concentrate on most in terms of building revenue? Oh, I, I really still concentrate on creating quality content for people. That's the base of everything. So the blog joythebaker.com still gets a majority of my attention that that's the foundation. And so I put a lot of resources into that. I have a lot of like tech support behind that. I have an editor who helps me with that. I have a few contributors. I have a photographer, like it is the foundation. It is, it's, um, and everything drives to that. So it still has all the focus as silly as that is. I remember a couple of years ago, maybe like 2017, 2018, people were like, blogs are nothing. Like nobody cares about blogs anymore. Everyone, you should just start a blog on Instagram. I said, Mm-mm, no, no baby. Um, and it's true because that's what I want to own. I don't, I don't care about owning the community. I need to own my work, my content. And so, yeah, that. that well, I love that you, you just, I mean, it was almost like I paid you to write that endorsement because that's what you just said is what I teach all the time. And it's that you have to have a foundation and that your content is everything and everything comes off of your content. That is just how marketing works. That's how a successful brand markets themselves is building the foundation from the ground up through the content. Yeah. And that's what you've done. And you have a ton of history behind you. So yeah. You talked really, about your tech team and and you've mentioned your team here and there. What does your team look like now? You also mentioned it's pretty lean still. It is lean. It is lean. I keep it lean because I don't know, it's such an unpredictable, unpredictable world. I really want my employees to be able to count on me. So I do keep it pretty lean, but I have, I have a tech team who does all the back end of Joy the Baker and keeps that maintained. It is like when you have a 15 year old site, it's like a, it's like a, it's a big beast to, to load. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a heavy lift. Um, there's just so much there. And I have an editor for the website. I have two contributors. I have, I mean, I have like a publicist. I have a book agent. I have a manager who helps me get branded deals. There are layers of people who, who support me in my work in business. But I want to point out that you don't do it alone. No, I do not. And that's what I, that's why I asked you that no. question because, and, and are any of those people, and I think this is a really important question for entrepreneurs who are lis- listening, are, and are they employees or are they contractors? I, had, I, I did have one employee 
um, who was a photographer. No, I am currently my only employee. Um, so they're all contractors. Yeah, they're all contractors, right? And now. I'm so glad I asked that because I also think it's so important to share that and for people to be able to look at you. You are someone who has built a huge brand. You have a huge following. You have a million extensions and you don't have a huge team employed by you. And a lot of entrepreneurs often think that they need to have employees and they need to pay people six figures in order to make their business run. And that is not the case. And you are a prime example of that. Oh gosh, six figures. No, y'all. Um, I mean, if I, if I had it, I'm, I'm happy to share, but I keep, I keep it all pretty lean and. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like I have so many people who say to me, oh, like I really want a CMO or I want, I want to hire like a, you know, chief financial officer, but I don't have the salary to, to pay them. Most business yeah. owners don't. Yeah. But there are ways to be creative and have fractional people and contractors to support you in those endeavors so that you can run your company. And that's what I want to point out here, because I think someone would from the outside looking in, look at everything that you've built and think you have this giant team. And I think it's so important to point out that you don't and that's okay. And you have a great business. Yeah. 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 So I want to wrap up with you on the last question I ask everyone. And that is what is three tips that you would share with someone who's just getting started? I can say I can I can speak from my my experience as someone who's been on the internet for 15 years be consistent. If you're going to be on the internet and you have a thing to offer, be consistent about offering it to people. I think that's been a huge part of Joy the Baker's success is that I've just been relentlessly sharing recipes for years and years and years and people can count on that. Um I would say take time out of every day to genuinely connect with your community. And it feels like it might feel like a waste of time, but it's everything. They are everything to you. Like I will spend at least an hour in the morning responding to DMS. Like what? After about 45 minutes, I'm like, what am I doing? But it is so important. It's so important to for me to connect with my audience and like, I couldn't agree more. Be genuine about it, not just like heart their comment. They took time to comment to you. So like know them, get to know them because they are, they are your supporters. They're the ones who will buy something from you. If you, if you ask them yep. and then I, and then the third thing I would say is do not sacrifice the quality of your offerings to people. Don't like, it's just like out of respect for the community you've built. Don't do, don't just do something to make some quick money because people can feel that and it feels gross. So just, I feel like don't sacrifice quality in the, in the like online work that you present to people in the product that you are offering people. I think if, if you can build trust in that way with the community that you've fostered, you've got it. Like that's the ticket. Joy Wilson, Joy the Baker, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom here. Not only do we all have something to learn from you in the kitchen, but you have really shared so much to think about in terms of building a business and building a business on your own brand. So thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it. Oh my gosh. I hope it's been helpful and I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I told you, Joy Wilson is just as sweet as you think she would be. 
from following her on Instagram. She's absolutely amazing. And I am so honored that she took the time to share her story here with all of us. A lot of us here do struggle to figure out what it is that we want to put out into the world, how we want to present ourselves, how we want to share on social media. And I think that what Joy shared today and her tips about building a strong foundation through the content that you share with your community and really, really focusing on your community. That's what I say each and every day, all day, every day on social media, in my classes, and really and truly everywhere you can find me. I love that Joy solidified the practices that I preach each and every day right here. So Joy, thank you so much. And I told you there would be a lot of takeaways from today's conversation. So you know what time it is. Take out your pen and paper. You're going to want to write these down. And as always, you can sign up for my newsletter through the link in my show notes where you'll receive all the takeaways from every conversation, as well as a tip each and every week to build and grow your business. But for now, here are my top five. Number one, you have to stay true to your work, but find the flexibility in it. Platforms change, but it's exciting. There are so many more possibilities and different ways to be creative with the rise of new platforms like what's happening right now with TikTok. Number two, focus on building quality content for people. This is the foundation of a strong brand. Put your resources into your foundation and into building quality content. Number three, if you're going to be on the internet, you have to be consistent and you have to be consistent about offering it, whatever it is, to people. Number four, your community is everything to you. Respond to your DMs. It's so important to connect with your community and to be genuine about it. If they take the time to comment to you, get to know them, let them get to know you. They are your supporters. And eventually when you have something to buy, they are going to be the ones who buy it from you if you ask them. And number five, do not sacrifice the quality of your offerings to people. Out of respect to the community that you built, don't do something to make quick money. People can feel it and it feels icky. Joy Wilson, otherwise known as Joy the Baker, thank you so much for being here and thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen today. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure that you scroll all the way down to your the bottom of your podcast app and tap that five-star rating or leave us a review so that others can discover stories like Joy's and all the stories that we share here each and every week. Make sure that you subscribe to Dear Founder wherever it is that you podcast so that you never miss an episode and stay tuned. We'll be back every Tuesday and Thursday with a brand new episode. 